0: You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Hope. Honored to be here this morning. I'm grateful that we get to celebrate communion together. You know, I remember not understanding, I remember when I was a new Christian, I remember not understanding why we did it. And I remember not liking the tradition of it, but as the Lord really worked into my heart, I began to realize the beauty in intentionally taking time as a church to remember the cross. Truly, it's a beautiful thing. So, for many of you, you're probably wondering, like, what the heck is this guy doing here again? Like, didn't he just preach like a couple of weeks ago? And yeah, I'm wondering the same thing too. Yeah, with Pastor Ross being away, Ricky Beck was supposed to be here from Harvest Buffalo. But (laughs) I'm sure as you drove here this morning on this beautiful Canadian winter morning you can understand why the elders said hey Ricky you should stay home so it turns out I'm plan C and I'm praying that the Lord will see us through this morning as as uh, we go through this text together so please open your Bibles to James chapter 5 verses 19 to 20 so because we're going to go to the very end of this letter, I'm going to have a little uh, quick catch-up of what happened and what led us to where the book is ending. So the book of James, written by James, who was one of the main leaders in the early church. So this letter was addressed to the Israelites who were displaced and on the run. Some believed uh, some believed that these Israelites, they were scattered because the Assyrians, maybe because the Babylonians. Some some people believe that when Stephen was stoned to death, this is what scattered the Christians. At the same time, Saul, who later on became Paul, Saul, he was ravaging the church. He was persecuting the early church. And some people believe that this is why the Christians, they were scattered. Either way, the church was being attacked. And James, When he wrote, he didn't want to waste any time in this letter. James was blunt, and he was straight to the point. So in this applicable book, James, he teaches what it looks like to live wholeheartedly for Jesus and how we should do it. So if you want to know, as a Christian, how to act, read the book of James. So James, he was influenced by much of Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount and also by Proverbs. So for those of us who know the book, who've read the book, who are familiar with the book, we have sensed that this book has a wealth of wisdom. So James, he tackles subjects, uh, tackles subjects like facing trials, favoritism versus love, genuine faith, faithful speech, wealth, endurance, and just to name a, uh, name a few. And right before our passage, James even talks about what it looks like to have faith and a filled prayer life. And so this leads us to the very end of the chapter. So please open up your Bibles to James chapter 5, verse 19 to 20. And if you did not bring your Bibles, then you can take one of the new black Bibles in the pew ahead of you to use. And if you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take this as a gift from your church. So there is a story of two Christian brothers who were born and raised going to church but it was the younger brother who knew and loved the Lord. Even from a young age, people said that he always had a good head on his shoulders and he made good decisions. Even though he was the younger brother, it seemed like he was the one who was more mature. But it was only because he feared the Lord. The younger brother, he was on the straight and narrow path. But then there's the older brother. He said he was a Christian, but he had his own interests. Sure, he went to church, but he wasn't so sure that church was his thing. He lived the lukewarm Christian life, going to church while living a completely different lifestyle. He was used to going, and it was part of his routine, so that's why he went. That's what he did. But he didn't antagonize the church, especially because he had such a deep respect for his brother. Although, he did begin to notice that the only reason why he went to church was to spend time with his brother and to please his brother. But year after year, he began to feel disingenuous, coming to church as a non-believer, so he stopped coming. He quit. You know, there were things in the Bible that he, he just couldn't reconcile. There were rules that he didn't want to follow, and there was a whole lot of God that, frankly, he didn't care about. So, in his efforts to be an honest man and not wanting to be a hypocrite at age 25, he walked away from the faith. And as much as I said, this is a story of two brothers for some of us this morning, this isn't just a story, but it sounds a lot like yours. This is all too familiar. Some of us, we have loved ones who have walked away from the faith. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a brother, a sister, cousin. Friend, aunt, uncle, are the way. They've completely cut ties with Christianity. You know, there are truths in the Bible that they just couldn't reconcile. Laws that they couldn't bring themselves to obey. So they left. And you've tried to reason with them. you you even cried out to God about it. But, but it seems like nothing is working. And yes, this is the Lord's work. This is kingdom work. But oh my goodness, it's just so discouraging like every spiritual conversation every interaction a dead end it's like what do we do in these situations like what do we do when believers they walk away from the faith is there anything we could do how should we respond when believers are wandering or have wandered away from the truth of the gospel you see the situation isn't new it's not new. It happened back in the scattered churches. You see, that's why James wrote about it. And if we want to know how to respond to those wandering away from the faith, we got to get this text. we got to understand what James is saying at the end of his letter. So please grab your Bibles to James chapter 5, verses 19 to 20. It says this. My brothers... If anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So if you look at every other epistle, every other letter that was written in the Bible, you're always going to see some sort of final greeting. You know, most of them, they go something like this, like, peace to all of you who are in Christ from 1 Peter. Or, I long to see you. Or 2 Timothy says, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. But not James. Not James. From our passage, James, in many ways, we see that he is abrupt. He's that kind of guy who just gets straight to the point, not really wanting to show much emotion, but we know that James, he, he still writes out of a deep love and care for his church. He goes, brothers, sisters, if you remember anything, if you do anything, this leads us to the big idea of the moment. Brothers, if you remember anything, if you do anything, pursue the wanderer, pursue the wanderer, pursue those who are wandering away from the faith. If we truly love them, if we truly care for them, we must pursue them. And this is not a friendly suggestion or a subtle recommendation. This is a direct call to obedience. There's a ginormous sense of urgency here. This is more crucial than just life and death. People's souls are at stake. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Paul says that we must restore those who have wandered and have been caught in transgression. Jude 22 to 23 says, Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 25, it says, And the Lord's servant... Must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Why? Well, because perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. So again, Paul, he talks about how we should act in our pursuit of the wanderers. But the bottom line is the fact that we do this because we believe God may grant them repentance. Repentance pursue those wandering from the truth and in this passage James he gives us two reasons why we must do this two reasons why we must pursue those who are wandering from the truth because if they come to repentance if those people who are wandering from the truth if they come to repentance point one they will be saved they will be saved that's why this is so serious those who are wandering those people they're in danger I remember when my family's dog, Evan, was a puppy. Now he's a grumpy old dog with arthritis, but I remember like maybe over 10 years ago when he had fresh legs and what seemed like unlimited puppy energy. He was a crazy dog back then, crazy dog. And I remember that he would always, whenever he had the opportunity, he would always escape through the front door And it's funny looking back at it now because he was always safe. We always got him at the end of the day. But at that time, those moments, they they were terrifying because he would sprint all around the block. And it was almost impossible to catch a small little puppy, right? And on top of that, Evan, he would dash on the road, on the sidewalks, people's driveways. And there would always be cars just speeding in our neighborhood. So what did our family do? We ran out the door. We chased Evan right up until one of us grabbed him, and he was safe in our arms, and we brought him home. And in the same way, James is saying, we got to pursue those who are wandering, because if they repent, if they come to a repentance with God, they will be saved. But in this situation, this is more than just life and death. That's why James is so urgent in his call to pursue So again, let's look at verse 20 and 20a. It says, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. So James, he's bringing our attention first to the wanderer's fate. He's not just referring to physical death, which is already pretty serious. He's talking about what comes afterwards. He's saying... Pursue the wanderers, because if they come around, they will be saved from spiritual death. Pursue the wanderers because they will be saved from this spiritual death. So what spiritual death? Well spiritual death. listen, this is God's judgment. Spiritual death is God's judgment. This is serious. Because this is is more than just passing away from this life. This is referring to the life that we'll be able to transition into afterwards. Spiritual death isn't just a soul transitioning into nothingness. Being spiritually dead refers to a soul entering God's judgment. It, It refers to a soul being casted into the lake of fire. It's receiving God's just wrath. Why? Well, because of sin. Romans 6:23A says, "For the rages of sin is death." Matthew 13:42 says that they will be thrown into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8 talks about spiritual death where Christ's angels will come in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Spiritual death is receiving God's judgment where sinners who have come to the end of their unrepentant lives are thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is not where the devil reigns. But rather, it's a place where along with all of those who rebelled against God, Satan will also go. Hell is not where Satan reigns supreme. That's where God reigns. And since God is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere, God is also present in hell. But also, it's a place where God displays his his unlimited power and might. Hell is the place where the wicked are casted in and will experience God. They'll experience God and no, not his grace upon grace and his mercies that are new every morning. Instead, they will experience God's justified anger towards sin. They will experience the full wrath of the most powerful being in the entire universe. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 6 says, And said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not? God in heaven, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. It says that God rules over the kingdoms of the nations and in his hands are what? Power and might. None is able to withstand God. No one, no thing can ever overpower him. There's no comparison, no competition. Listen, God is powerful. And on one hand, this is a tremendous blessing for believers, for those who know Christ as their Lord and Savior, because when we pray to him, this is the God that listens and answers to us. He answers our prayers. But on the other hand, this is a dreadful reality for those who aren't in Christ, for those who have wandered away from the truth. God opposes those people. God is not for those who are not walking with him. But God is against them. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31 It says it's so right, it's so true. It says it so well when it says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's why it's crucial for us to pursue the wanderers. Because if they come around, those people, if they come around, they will be saved from spiritual death. And as we dig deeper, we see that there are layers to it. Spiritual death is God's judgment. But in addition to that, not only that, spiritual death is eternal. Spiritual death is eternal. And I think sometimes we forget what eternity is. I mean, you can't blame us. We've never experienced it. And I mean, it's a concept that we have never known of yet here on this side of heaven. It's something that we can't even comprehend because unlike God, we're just finite human beings. The thing about COVID, sorry, I don't mean to bring it up, but I'm bringing it up. The thing about COVID was despite how draining it was, how heartbreaking it was when lockdowns were enforced, with divisions and strife everywhere, there was always still hope. There was always still hope. Like, no matter where we stood, like, in almost every conversation I had with people, I heard, like, everyone say, like, when this thing is over, when this thing is over, when this thing is over, we're finally going to go to the gym. When this thing is over, we're finally going to get to go to church together. We're finally going to be able to celebrate. We're finally going to be able to go to Target and cross the border. And so many of us, like, we lost our minds we went crazy. Two years of being quarantined from society and normalcy, it felt like forever. We went crazy. But the thing is, we always had something to look forward to. There was always hope. When this thing is finally over, we get to, you fill in the blank. But that's not the case for the wanderers who come to the end of their lives. Those people, they will experience spiritual death. They will encounter God's wrath forever and ever and ever. Their doom will have no end. There will, be, there will, there will never be any glimmer of hope. There won't be any do-overs or any opportunities, no second chances. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9 talks about spiritual death. It says they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. Matthew 25, 41 says that he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. In verse 46a, he says, and these will go away into eternal punishment. A never-ending lockdown may have seemed terrible, but the comparison does not even come close to experience God's eternal judgment. God's wrath will not cease, and those experiencing it will have no escape. And in the same way that believers, they're declared righteous, and that there's nothing that anyone can undo to undo what God has done, when a wanderer experienced spiritual death, They are declared guilty, and because they have their opportunity to repent and are without excuse, there is nothing that anyone can do or say that will undo what God has done. They will experience God's wrath for all eternity with with no end in sight. In talking about hell, people, they always talk about the physical pain. For those in the lake of fire, the pain that they will experience but just even imagine the, the, the psychological, emotional pain that one would face knowing that there's absolutely no end day in sight, nothing to look forward to, no date on the calendar when God's judgment will relent, no scheduled breaks to help you endure. This is eternal punishment for those who have refused to repent. But church, please know James's heart in this Please know his heart. No, he's not writing this to condone or scare or to judge anyone. But rather, he writes this out of a deep love and concern for God's people. This was to remind us believers why we must prioritize just pursuing the wanderers. Pursue those wandering from the truth. And two reasons why. Why? Because if they come to repentance, if those people who who are wandering, if they come to repentance, point one, they will be saved. They will be saved from spiritual death. And this is a big deal because spiritual death, this is God's judgment. But also this is spiritual death, this is eternal. Point one, they will be saved. But not only that. Not only that. We must pursue those who are wandering because point two, if they come to repentance they will be forgiven. If they come to repentance, point two, they will be forgiven. They will be forgiven of all of their sins. They will be pardoned of their transgressions against God. And this should blow our minds because even looking at our lives, even looking at our sin, even considering our track record, there's a lot to forgive. It was a couple months ago. A couple months ago when it happened. So please don't judge me. I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I, I pretty much grew up in a household full of boys. So please don't judge me. I'm still learning. I'm still new at marriage. But I remember a couple of months ago, it was the middle of the night. Sydney got up to use the washroom. And to her horror, when she got up to use the toilet, she fell in. <laughs> and it was because her beginner husband forgot to put the seat down. And... But because I'm her husband, and because of her mercy towards me, she didn't even wake me up that night. Like, she, she gently told me about it the morning afterwards, but she gave me an opportunity to repent of my sins, and she was so quick to forgive. And it's like, are you kidding me? Like, it, like, I would have totally understood if she slapped me in the middle of the night, and I was like, what the heck? But no, Sydney was merciful, and she was forgiving, and the first service when I was talking about it, her face was like so red, and she's not here right now, so... She was merciful. She was forgiving. And see, that's the forgiveness that James is talking about. That's why James is saying we got to pursue those who are wandering because if they repent, they will be forgiven. You see, that's why James, is so urgent in his call to pursue. So again, let's look at verse 20. Let's read the whole verse again, but we're going to highlight the very end at 20b. It says, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. And here it is, will cover a multitude of sins. You see, the reason why James uses the word multitude is because he's emphasizing the hopeless condition of the lost. Because the reality is that even just one sin is enough to make one guilty in God's economy. Psalm chapter 5, verse 10 says, Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of their abundant transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. And so what David is saying in the psalm is because of our transgressions, because of our sin, because of our rebellion, we are guilty and we deserve to be cast out by God. But what James is saying What James is saying is that if one is brought back from wandering, if one is brought back from wandering, that person is going to be pardoned. They'll be pardoned. And the good news of the gospel, because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, it means that they will receive mercy from God. For instead of getting what they deserve, God will withhold his punishment. And building on on the previous part of verse 20, James is saying that in addition to have their having their souls saved from spiritual death, if those wandering come to repentance, their multitude of sins will be forgiven. All of their sins wiped clean, completely clean, perfect, just as Jesus was. But also God doesn't just grant them mercy from judgment. He continues to provide for them abounding grace. Romans 5 verse 20 says, Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased grace abounded all the more so in other words because of the good news of the gospel on top of forgiving every individual sin that we've ever committed to the lord when we find ourselves still struggling in sin god continues to cover it with overflowing grace overflowing grace like like imagine a cup and just filling it with water and not stopping and that's how grace is from god it's just overflowing it doesn't stop Psalm chapter 85, verse 2 says, You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Micah chapter 7, verse 18 says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. And yes, God is a righteous God is just and will punish those who persist in sin. Those who come to repentance. He pardons their iniquity and transgressions. And you see, that's why we've got to pursue those wandering from the truth. Because I don't know about you, but for me, there is nothing like knowing that I'm forgiven by God. There's nothing that compares to the fact that I'm at peace with the God of the universe because he's forgiven my sins. There's like just supernatural peace that I have as a believer just knowing that there's absolutely no sin on this earth that I can ever commit past, present, and future that could ever separate me from the love of God. And you see, this is what fuels us as we pursue the wanderer because, because, because we want this for them too. Yes, their souls will be saved from God's judgment, eternal judgment, but this peace that surpasses all understanding, that just doesn't even make sense that we have because God has forgiven us, We pursue the wanderer because we want this for them too. Just knowing that we are fully known and loved by an awesome God, the God of the universe, Jesus, King of all kings, Lord of all lords. You see, this is why we pursue. So how do we do that? Well, here are three steps that we can use in our pursuit. Three steps. The first one is to perceive. Perceive. Perceive who those wanderers are. First step, we gotta figure out who those people are. And in verse 19, James talks about how we must be vigilant as we perceive those who may be wandering off. We gotta know who we're gonna minister to. And we do that by perceiving. Some people are obvious, some not so obvious. Some are hiding. Some people don't even know about it. Some people have grown up in the church, and some have been captivated by false teaching. Whatever the situation is, we must figure out who those people are. And James says that there are some, and there are some among us. So we can figure that out by asking these three questions. The first one is this: Are they doers of the word? Are they doers of the word? Like, like, are they quick to apply what they've been reading in the Bible, what they've been hearing from God's people? Or do they flat out ignore it? Are they doers of the word? But also, you can ask another question do they love the Lord? Do they love the Lord? Like, Like, do they love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are they continuing to grow in intimacy with Jesus Christ? Would they give everything up for God? Or could they care less about the Lord? Do they neglect their time with Him? Do they love the Lord? Last question last question do they care about their sin? Do they even care about their sin? Like, are they serious about confessing sin in their lives? Do they continue their, ba- their, their daily battle? Do, do they wage war against sin? Do they have people who keep them accountable? Or are they living in defiant lifestyles with a sheer confidence, conscience? Do they care about sin? We can perceive those who are wandering by asking these questions. Are they doers of the word? Do they love the Lord? Do they care about sin? So the first step is to perceive. Step two is to pray. Is to pray. As we pursue those wandering in our sphere of influence, we got to pray. We got to pray. And you know those times when you find yourself saying, okay, I guess I can't do anything. I guess I'll pray. Or, like, I have no control in this situation, so I guess I'll just lift up a prayer to the Lord. You know those times? I admittedly hate being in those times. But the reality is when we're pursuing the wanderers, when we're pursuing the people who are not walking with the Lord anymore, this is the reality. Like, we have no control. It was never up to us. Salvation was never in our job descriptions. It's way above our pay grade. Yes, God can use us, but he is the one who does the work. Yes, he uses our conversations, our testimonies, our examples, but ultimately, God, he's responsible for salvation. He's the one who supernaturally calls the wanderers back to himself, and he's the one who will give them strength to repent. So yes, we plant plant seeds. Yes, we water the seeds, but God, he's the one who does the work. That's why we have to rely on the power of prayer in our pursuit. The next time we find ourselves saying, oh, I guess, I guess I could pray, we can graciously correct ourselves. And instead, we can say, God, I know I'm not in control, but praise the Lord, I know that I can pray to the one who is. And in the passage right above our passage for this morning, chapter 5, verses 17 to 18, James, he, he reminds us that Elijah was a normal man like us. Elijah was a normal man like us. Because I, I, think, I think Elijah and people in the Bible, maybe you see it too. Elijah and people in the Bible who God uses in miraculous ways, they're often portrayed, or maybe even in our hearts, my, maybe in my heart. They're often portrayed as like these super Christians who are on a pedestal because of what God did to them. But James reminds us, he reminds us that Elijah, he was a broken vessel like us. Like he struggled with mental health, fear, anxiety, and even severe depression. But because he was a man of great prayer, because he was a man of prayer, he was able to stop the rain from falling for three years and six months. And as he prayed, God answered. That's why we got to pray. Because God can do miraculous things when we do. we got to pray. We've got to pray for the working and the leading of the Holy Spirit. We've got to pray for opportunities, the softening of the heart, words to speak, patience for repentant hearts. But truly, at the end of the day, when we pray for the working and leading of the Spirit, God will take care of the rest. So number one, perceive. Number two, Pray. And thirdly, lastly, persist. Persist. Be steadfast, endure, persevere, don't give up, and don't grow weary in doing what is good. We must persist, brothers and sisters in Christ, in the same way, in the same way that Marlon, in the same way that Marlin persisted in his pursuit to find Nemo across the ocean through jellyfish, through sharks and, and the, the great predators of the ocean, that we must persist. Anticipate that, yes, we will get pushback. Anticipate, yes, that we will feel uncomfortable and experience trials and tribulations, but persist. You know, even if it feels like th- there's no difference that's being made. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And, you know, persisting may look different for all of us. For some of us, maybe the Lord is is calling us to focus on just persisting in prayer. Maybe the relationships that we have with the people we're evangelizing to, maybe they've been hurt. There may be situations where a little more space may be best. But for a season, the Lord may be calling some of us to focus on persistent prayer perhaps even asking that the lord would bring more people other people to pursue our loved ones but for some of us some of us we need to continue to persist in our pursuit as we pursue those people we need to continue to have those difficult conversations especially with loved ones in our life who who have fully walked away from the lord maybe they have from years We need to persist and and, and continue to share the gospel with them and invite them back to church and into a loving relationship with Jesus. Your labor is not in vain. So brother or sister, press on. Persist. And you see, that's what the younger brother did. The younger brother, he persisted. Yes, he saw... He perceived that his brother had walked away from the faith. And sure, he was disheartened. He was disheartened by his brother's decisions. But after five years, he began persistently praying for his salvation. He persisted in prayer for 15 years and continued to invite him back to church. And during that time, the Lord allowed the big brother to experience trials, tribulations, extreme hardships to soften his heart. And in God's providence, after 15 years of praying, the big brother finally agreed to come to a men's conference. And that's when God transformed his heart. At the Men's Free Indeed Conference in 2016, Phil Gaudreau surrendered his life to Jesus as his Lord and Savior. His brother, Rich's persistent prayers and evangelism, it was not in vain. After Phil gave his life to Christ, with tears in his eyes, Rich said to Phil, this is the answered prayer of 15 years. And to God be the glory. And you see, this is why, Hope Church, this is why we pursue the wanderer. This is why we perceive, we pray, and we persist. Because we believe that our labor is not in vain. We pursue the wanderers because their souls, if they come to repentance, their souls will be saved. Their souls would be saved from eternal judgment. But also, if they come to repentance, their sins forgiven, slates clean. So for some of us, Hope Church, for some of us, the Lord has names of wanderers on each and every one of our hearts. The question is, are you going to pursue them?